Welcome to What is Black Podcast, where we have conversations to help parents guide their children through the positive and negative narratives of being black. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Duget, a pediatrician and mother of two, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today. On this episode, we speak with Timby Locke, the author of the debut novel, From Scratch, a memoir of love, Sicily, and finding home. So let's get started with the show. Welcome, everyone. I am honored to have um, as our guest today, Tembi Locke. Tembi Locke is an actor, writer, and advocate, and the author of a wonderful new book, From Scratch, a memoir of love, Sicily, and finding home. Welcome, Tembi, um, to the show. Hello. Welcome. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Like I said, it's an honor um, to speak with you. And when I first received the book, I was like, okay, this is a gift, right? Um, <laughs> literally, and, literally and figuratively, I, I, I loved reading the book. And, mm-hmm. you know, last night as I was talking to my husband, you know, again, reminding him like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm excited because I get to speak with um, Tembi today. Oh. That um, as I read the book, for me, it sort of played out as a movie. I know it's not it's your real life. But I told him, I said, you know what, I could see this as a movie because I think what is so, so, so grounding about the book is your honesty mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how you speak. Beautiful, beautiful prose as well. Um, and I just mm-hmm. loved the rawness of it and the intim- intimacy of the book. But before we, get any, before we go any further, I, you know, yep. like give you the opportunity to, to share with our listeners um, anything you'd like to share with them before we get started with the conversation. Well, thank you for that beautiful introduction. Um, you know, one of the things that I really try to do, I am a first-time writer. I, I'm an actor. I've been an actor for, you know, more than 20 years. And, um, you know, I also do advocacy work around caregiving and, and particularly family caregivers. But this is a first-time writing a book, and I really wanted to, with all of my heart, be as authentic and as open and to a large degree vulnerable um, as possible on the page. So it really means a lot to me that that spoke to your heart and that that you had that experience reading it. It's it's just incredible (laughs) to hear that back. So Share with us um, a little bit. Give us an overview of your new book, From Scratch. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for asking. Um, So From Scratch is a cross-cultural love story um, that is set largely in Sicily, and um, it has interlacing themes of family and food and motherhood and loss and forgiveness, and it, it traces the first three summers that my daughter and I spent on the island of Sicily with my mother-in-law um, after my husband has passed away. My husband was an Italian chef, and um, after his passing, there's a way in which I feel compelled to bring my daughter to Sicily each summer to sort of heal and repair a relationship with my mother-in-law. So it becomes an intergenerational look at three women, young girl and a grandmother and a mother, um, all trying to find their way across language and race and culture and geography and form a new relationship. And there's great food. (laughs) Thank you for um, for sharing sharing the book and you know again you share a lot of a lot of personal details you know that I think resonate with a lot of a lot of people and like I mentioned before the interview I think for me the one thing that resonated was your role as a caregiver 
And yes. I think for me, that that role was so so important because it sort of sort of harkened back to a memory that I had. So I'm a I'm a pediatrician um, by mm. training, and when I was in medical school, one of the rotations that I did was on a neurology unit. And so I'm not going to get okay. all the details correct, but I think the one thing that struck me was this couple, you know, and the caregiver, right? And they talked about how mm-hmm. um, the one the caregiver, you know, having to bathe. Um, bathe the, the partner, the spouse. And yes. I think at that time I was just newly married. And I think the one thing that struck me was, could I do this, right? I like, that's yes. love to me. That sort yes. of, not just sacrifice. So I wanted to to talk with you about how that role as caregiver got you to learn the meaning of love. Oh, wow. That's a wonderful question. And the two I do believe are very intertwined. Although when you know, I um, began my journey as a caregiver, and I use the term journey specifically because I was a caregiver for 10 years, and over the course of being a primary caregiver for 10 years, my husband, I should back up and say, was diagnosed with, with cancer, which is, I touch on, obviously, it's, it's, it's in the book, although initially, it's funny, I thought I was actually going to write a book about caregiving, <laughs> um, which, you know, from scratch is not a book exclusively about caregiving, but that's such an integral part of my story that it's certainly included. Um, but when I began, you know, my journey as a caregiver, I did not know, I could not, there was no template in my life for what was about to unfold, not in my, you know, direct lived experience. I'd seen my grandmother be a primary caregiver to my grandfather and to her own mom, but I was a child during that time in my life. So I was 31 and my husband was diagnosed with cancer and our life flipped upside down and we began this path. And I talk about in the book and I've also given a TEDx talk on this. I talk about how in my giving to him in the role as caregiver, I received these untold, unimaginable gifts that I didn't know could be available to me. And our marriage deepened. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't um, something that we, we, it was a trial by fire to a large degree, but what I came to and what we came to as a couple and me even after his passing to know is that it is one of the most intimate and honoring and deeply connected human experiences that you can have. And um, it's odd to say that my life feels blessed for having been his caregiver because I would obviously, you know, none of us asked for a cancer diagnosis, but if that is what life gave us, the fact that through that experience, I could find deeper meaning not only in my marriage and as a mother and as a sister and friend and even in my own um, understanding of my capacity, my own capacity, um, that I could, on the other side of, of my 10 years as a caregiver, feel that I've been given gifts with something I never could have imagined day one. Never. <laughs> wow. And, you know, I, you know, I reflect um, personally as well, that I've seen, you know, I've seen my mom-in-law and I've seen mm-hmm. um, other family members go through that process. You know, my father-in-law passed away of cancer um, a few years ago mm-hmm. and I had, had a sister-in-law who passed away from cancer. And again, it's like that there was just something about witnessing the, not just sacrifice, but for me it's love, right? To me that sacrifice equals yes. love to see the mm-hmm. process of, 
you know, and the strength and the honoring of the of that person lived that life lived that was mm-hmm. was so beautiful to me and i think you did like a great again a great great job in the book doing that because i think for me what and, and again when i liken it back to you know like i would love to see this as a movie is that i i think i rarely see couples go through like these difficult times but not just difficulty yeah. right but there's also a triumph that you don't typically yeah. see and most stories, and I think that, you know, I think that's what you do well. Oh, thank you. And I, I, I do want to say, because I do feel that so many, particularly women, I mean, there are, mm-hmm. I think the statistics are up to like 70 million, you know, people, largely women, are, are, are primary caregivers right now as we speak, as they hold down full-time jobs, as they care for their own children or, 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 or parents. And so there are a lot of people doing this right now, and I think that it's, you know, sometimes it's easy to say that, oh, that person's just so incredibly strong or that person's just, you know, incredibly resilient. And, and, and there's truth in that. However, what I would say in my experience and what I've observed is often the strength of the caregiver comes from, one, the, the love that they have for the person for whom they're caring, but also comes from the community of everyone around them who are supporting them up. It's the friends who are saying, you can do this. How can I help you do this? I mean, I got so much strength from my um, immediate family, my parents, my, my, my siblings, but also from my community of friends who kind of held me up so that I could hold him up. So it then became a kind of, you know, um, almost a, a matrix of, of love, you know, this interlacing of all of these different energies seeking to sort of help one person. And that is love <laughs> in a big way. And I love that, that term, that matrix of love. I was going to try mm-hmm. to find, um, there's one quote, I think I got it on the right page, on 295. Where oh, I love that you have the book. <laughs> yes, I should. I have the book in front of me. Um, there's a there's a quote on the bottom on page two ninety five when you're when you're with your your mom in law, and mm-hmm. the, the paragraph says she nodded in response. The air about us was full of what wasn't said. She was in her own way telling me I was known and loved. That whatever mm-hmm. my life might that wherever my life might take me, there was a love that was unshakable. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, my God. Like, again, to me, that was a reflection of your writing, but also to, I think, your, you know, what you spoke to, this, this matrix of love, right? That, yeah. Um, and, again, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not going to give away the whole story, but how, you know, <laughs> you, you, grew, like, you grew as a family, right? Your extended family, like you said. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. I, I have to say that all of us, you know, you know sort of, you know, I mean, to say it plainly, we all upped our game. <laughs> you know, we upped our game in every way, um, and and that is the way we, you know, sort of all greeted or met this 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 life changing diagnosis. That we each it asks each of us to bump up the ways in which we chose to engage and to be with each other and to love each other. And it, that doesn't always happen, but one of the things it, with people, with families, but one of the things that I hope is an outcome of the book that for some people who read it, they may see the possibility of that and it may change that experience for them. It may just invite a little more love in, a little more connection in, a little more patience and understanding and empathy. And I and I and I agree with you. I mean, again, just personally, 
Because, I mean, you could, you, they, you could do a couple of things, I think, when you see someone going through it, like a caregiver, right? You can, like, mm-hmm. be hands-off and, like, well, I don't know what to do, so I'm just not going to do mm-hmm. anything. Or you can yeah. lean, lean into the situation. So, I mean, everyone has a choice, right, and everyone has, has to be where they are at that time. But I feel like, you know, I think the example of you and Sorrow, your husband, you know, mm-hmm. sort of provided that, that template or that scaffolding for your family then sort of kind yeah. of, like affix to and you know create that create that home create that matrix yeah thank you and and you know i you know the the book opens as a straight up love story i mean it is a love story and it's full in the full sense both romantic love but also you know this sort of bigger love that we're talking about um and some of that was you know the guy that I write about at the, you know, in the book, I mean, he's a central character in the book and how his, his incredible capacity for love, which is something that he would laugh at if I, if he heard me say that today, because he didn't think of himself in that way. He just thought, well, this is just how I am. But he, um, he kind of inducted people into their open heart. You know, he kind of, he kind of asked that of people and people were a little, you know, people smiled a little bit more when they were around him. They laughed a little bit more. He was sort of easygoing. And, and, um, so, you know, when I sat down to write about our life, my life after to get our, our life together and my life, you know, as it, as it changes and unfolds and is reimagined after his passing, you know, bringing him into the room and letting the reader really get a sense of, who he was was really important to me because I felt he was the anchoring of the whole story. And so I think that's a nice, nice segue. Um, cause like oh, said, good. Husband, <laughs> cause, um, Cause I think, I think the one thing too, that was really interesting for me throughout the book, like, like food was a, was a big character as well. Mm-hmm. I think as part of the story and, you know, sorrow being, being a chef you know, as I as I read this, I'm like, oh man, I love Italy. I had an opportunity to visit Italy with yeah. my, you know, northern Italy though, um, with my son mm-hmm. a few years ago when he because he plays soccer, and it's like, okay, yeah. this is like one a life once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah, you have to go. Yes, yes, it was it was wonderful, and I would just, and I just wanted to to read a quote again, read read a passage from the book to me that sort of sums up the the importance of food throughout the book. So on page two ninety nine. Okay, for those who will, will get the book after, you know, after they read this, they hear this episode, you write, the food from Nona's kitchen told a story, an epic and personal story of an island and a family. It told the story of poverty, grief, love, and joy. It spoke forthrightly of people who had at times survived on bread, cheese, and olives while foraging wild vegetables from the rich orchards dotting, dotting the foothills near her house. And to me, to me, that was like such a, you painted again such a such a beautiful picture of, of how important food is to family, and I yeah. wanted to wanted to hear from you. Why was that? Why was that so important? And that memory of the like, what did those memories of food bring up for you as you wrote the book, or how did how did it infuse your writing of the book? Well, I mean, you know, I spent twenty years married to a chef, an Italian chef, so food sort of sits at the forefront of how I think about the world, how I move through the world. It's like if you were married to a musician, you hear sounds everywhere, right? If you're married to an architect, you look at structures, physical structures, you know, in the world in a different way. So being married to a chef, you know, food is really at the epicenter. Not only it's something that I do because I do eat three times a day. (laughs) I do believe in that. (laughs) You know, so it's not only... um, a ritual, right? But also, um, it 
is connected so much um, to my understanding of love. And he used food as an expression of love, right? And so when I began to write the book, and actually in the first, you know, I write in the book about the first months after his passing, how literally hard it was just to walk into the kitchen, how difficult it was to eat, you know, the most basic human um, need was really hard for me to fulfill. And so I was longing for, um, in my grief, for both him physically, but also the kind of food as a love letter from him. And, um, and I wanted, and my palate actually at, at, you know, almost like a physiological level felt like it had just gone dead also. I couldn't taste anything. So there was something about the, the confluence of that, that, the deep experience around food that I knew if I could express that on the page in the book, I might be able to give the reader a sense of what that kind of deep grief felt like. And of course, when I, and as we, you know, follow in the book, I make that first trip to Sicily, to his hometown, to his homeland, and the way I began to sort of come alive slowly again, right, incrementally. And a lot of that happened at the table with my mother-in-law and the way that Sicilians use food to mend fences, to heal, to, you know, make peace, to show love. And, you know, I'm at the table of my mother-in-law and the way that she would feed us as both, um, you know, a sort of wish for our wellness as well as an expression of her own grief was just something I couldn't, it, it was, it, 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 I was almost struck dumb by it when I visited, you know, that first mm-hmm. summer. And I realized how very powerful, how very powerful food was. And because we, and so the book, you know, there's, there's technically three languages in the book, English, obviously, and then there's Italian, and then there's Sicilian. And my mother-in-law, really don't have a common, sp- I mean, we, we, we share Italian together, but it's neither of our mother tongues. Sicilian is her mother tongue, English is my mother tongue, but we both can communicate in Italian. And so sitting at her table, there was no language needed, right? <laughs> it's just, she would make these beautiful, delicious, gorgeous meals and sort of say, here, this is what I have to give you. I don't have a lot to give you in the way of, you know, um, you know, financial thing. I can't, I can't ease your, 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 your very broken heart and my granddaughter's very broken heart and my own, but we can do this together. We can eat together. And so, um, that becomes really those scenes, those moments become very central in the book to anchoring the heart piece with my mother-in-law. Um, and, and food is, is, is big there. So it's, it's both two things. It's one, the fact that Sato was a chef, and so food is going to be central to the book, but then it's also how food becomes this instrument to express all of these other uh, themes in the book. And again, to, you know, towards the end of the book, you have um, some wonderful recipes. I told my husband, I want, mm, I, yes, I do. Like, I want to definitely make these recipes. I'm like, oh, this, this, this looks oh, good. Please do. They're good for parties. <laughs> So I definitely have because I so my husband so I so I'm first generation, my husband's first generation, and he comes from a Haitian family, and okay. I think I think that's where the commonalities between I think I can find commonalities between Sicily and Haiti. It's like it's food, I'm sure right yeah like, yep, yep and it's good food yep. uh, you know my family makes good food too but it's it's 
again, different, just a little slightly, slightly different um, married mm-hmm. to a Haitian family. And I'm like, okay, when I go to the house, it's like, it's like, you know, multi-courses. It's like, and it's really, <laughs> yes. it's really good food. And I'm like, okay, so I hit the, I hit the lottery. <laughs> you know, my husband's not a chef, his mom-in-law, my mom-in-law and um, my aunt-in-law, they can throw down. They're really, they're really good. And, you know, and to, you, to, to your point, you know, I think that, that, you know, that I was very much aware also of that as I was writing the book, you know, Sato and I are, you know, uh, you know my, my daughter, our daughter's in the book, right? And I was very aware of the fact that I wanted to sort of write forward a history for her of not only a time in her life, when she was very young because he passed away when she was seven, but I also wanted to write forward sort of memories of her mother-in-law, you know, um, I'm, I'm sorry, my mother-in-law, her grandmother, so that she will know things. I mean, she will show them, but I, I was very aware that, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, she will be seeing those experiences through, through my lens effectively mm-hmm. and sort of um, creating a kind of living document, a love letter also to her grandmother in the book. Um, and the way food was used, right? Because I don't know all those recipes. My mother, does, my mother-in-law doesn't write all of them down. Sometimes I can get a few things out of her, and you know, she'll talk me through something. But you know, what what happens often in families is that you know, when that matriarch, or sometimes it can be the you know, the, I guess the patriarch of the family who cooks too. There are some families where it's the dad who does the cooking. But nonetheless you know, we, we lose a little bit with each generation, right? And so I'll never be able to make something exactly the way Nonna, my mother-in-law, does. Um, and I wanted to be able to capture what her food has meant to me and to our daughter and, and have my daughter know that. Which I think is important because, I, like, again, you know, again, just personal experience, is that I think for me, you know, early early in my in my marriage, it was, like, it was a little intimidating, right? My mom in law, yes, oh yes, cook. and like she's like she's like a great mom, and it's kind of mm. like oh my god, am I going to live up to this? And I, you know, and my rice and beans, my son, you know, any day <laughs> will tell you that, you know, grandma's rice and beans, right? I got to have that, you know, mm-hmm, and, and I don't mm-hmm. take offense anymore. It's love, right? It's like I'm I'm glad, like you said, like there's that food that food is a love letter, right? It's a love letter. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it made the book, writing the book made me remember the ways my own grandmother would make things for me as a child that, you know, I don't have some of the recipes for, you know. And, um, and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice if, you know, I could, you know, the, understand or, you know, be with her in the kitchen again. And in some ways, writing the book allowed me to sort of access those memories and maybe energetically connect up to all the women in whose kitchens I've stood, right, and who have, you know, made food for me as a way to say, you know, we love you, you know, um, we care for you, you know, get stronger, (laughs) let's fortify you, you know, I mean, they're not saying that literally, but, you know, that's what they're doing. Correct. I think the, I think the, Another interesting part in the book, and it, it's a it's a it's a small piece, um, but for mm. me, for me, it was really important that the multi, the cross cultural perspectives. Right, you have yes. you come from a and your daughter multicultural. You're American. Um, yes. Your husband was Italian, and mm-hmm. for me, the you know again my son my sons. I said you know multicultural as well. Um, parents of West Indian descent, 
and you know, and also then acculturating to America, both my husband and I being first generation. And I, mm-hmm. there was this one scene that spoke to me, and I think a lot of kids, especially kids of color, may have this experience. Is on on page two forty three towards the end of the book, where um, you and your daughter are are taking a trip, and then your daughter asks a question, "Mommy, why do you think there are no other brown people?" And I'm going to mispronounce mm. his name, Ala Manusa. Mm-hmm. Ala Manusa. Mm-hmm. Oh, see, beautiful Italian. And <laughs> I think you, do, you do such a wonderful job of reflecting on that experience and talking with her and, and affirming her. And I think, I think that's one thing that I definitely want to do with this podcast, What is Black, is the fact that, again, being, being a black person, being a person of color, is not just this monolithic experience. And I think this book speaks to ways to be who you are and I just wanted to know like what your thoughts were about that experience and how you continue to affirm her being being a, a woman of color girl of color or, or you know just just a just a human being yeah absolutely thank you for asking that question um yeah I mean identity definitely is a theme in the book right the identity of you know um you know, you know, my even just in Italy, let's say on my husband's side, you know, he's Sicilian. He's he's Italian to American, but when he's in Italy, he's Sicilian, mm-hmm. right? So that changes a bit of his identity, right? For me, I'm American, but when I here, I'm a Black American, but when I go there, I'm more American than Black. But then, black, it, it's always changing. Um, and and I felt like as I was writing the book, and especially for my daughter, who very much has asked me on many different summers when we're in a small Sicilian town of, I don't know, six hundred people now, you know, and we are the only people of color, and you know, she is a child who's growing up in Los Angeles in a very diverse and large American city with many, many, many different cultures. So for her to go to a place where, you know, the people um, look one way, it's, it's shocking to her. And so I'm not shocking. She's used to it now, but she often will ask that question. Why? I don't understand why there's not different types of people here. And so in that scene in the book that you referred to, she asks that question. She was about seven or eight years old. I think she was eight in that chapter. And, you know, I try to explain to her one, just, you know, in a historical sort of sense of, you know, how people of color have, have um, you know, been flung across the diaspora, if you will, for many different reasons, um, not the least of which is the slave trade. But um, without getting into that for an eight-year-old, you know, was just to, I realized that as a mom in that moment, what she wanted to know was, one, am I okay? Two, is it okay to be different? And, and, um, and to know that, that she could claim that place, even though she didn't look like everyone else. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like, and I do feel like my role as a mom is to help her see herself and her value and her humanity in any environment that she finds herself in. And sometimes that's a lot of heavy lifting as a parent to do of a parent of a child of color. Um, and different situations asks us to ask of us to do it in different ways. But in that moment, I think what she was saying in the absence of her father, who is the, you know, the connective link between Sicily and America for her, she was saying, do I, do we belong here? You know, I don't think she was consciously thinking that question, but that was sort of, you know, what I at least interpret as to be the question underneath the question. And, you know, 
And my answer is absolutely we do. And it's a question I've had to ask myself as someone who is, you know, I have dual citizenship, you know, I was born, you know, obviously here in the States, but being married to an Italian and, and moving in and about two worlds and two languages, you know, the book is, is, is bringing that to the forefront. And when I saw it play out in her, I knew that it was also something that I wanted to pull into, into the book as well and make that a, that a theme. So it's a long answer, <laughs> but I do feel um, that while it's not, you know, a main theme of the book, it is definitely a part of, 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 of our lived experience and to not include it would have been, um, not true to, you know, sort of the complexity of the whole situation. And again, I think, I, I mean, I love the way, you know, you answered the question. And again, you know, coming from a, you know, developmental, you know, I'm not a developmental pediatrician, but I am a pediatrician. I'm like, like you, you, I think you answered it great, right? I mean, you got, you have to meet your, meet your child where they are. And mm-hmm. I, think you did, I think you did a great job. Great job, mom. Thank Great you. Job. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's, listen, mom, you know, being a parent is, is, is challenging and, and as we all, as we all know, and, and, you know, one of the things that, you know, I was reading that scene recently when I had to do the audio book and it brought me right back to that day, you know, and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, how very raw we were. I mean, I think one of the things about Parenting after loss and parenting when you are grieving and parenting a grieving child is that you really realize that you have to be incredibly honest with your child. The world has turned upside down and the children are become so wise when they've lost a parent, they... They sort of know, as I talk about in the book, like the secret trapdoor to life, right? And so they're wise beyond their years. And to not be as honest as we can with them actually erodes trust, the parent-child trust. And so I knew, you know, there are many places in the book where some hard moments happen between us as mom and daughter, you know, because of the, 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 our lived circumstances. And I kept trying to, in my own way, as best I could, always be as, as honest as I could with her, even when those answers were unresolved or they hurt or were painful. Yeah, I think I, I, to, I totally, totally agree with you. I mean, I think like you said, I think you, you said it correctly. Parenting is hard, you know. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> And forever being blazoned, you know, in my heart, yeah, it's it's hard, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what what circumstances, right? You know, absolutely, absolutely, trying circumstances, um, but you did it together. And like again, like you said, that matrix of love, your family, and that support, I think, was um, was very evident um, to the evolution of your relationship and um, through your grieving process. Mm, thank you. So so far, I think you know we've talked. We've touched on, uh, all, you know, different different facets of, of your career, and I wanted to kind of circle back to um, this new role of writer. And yeah. When, and doing the research for, you know, for the book, I looked on your website, and, you know, there's one, I mean, everything everything was great on the website, but I think there's this, this one phrase that you wrote um, that, like, really struck me. So... I, so I wrote down the quote. It says, I believe we are all made stronger through, through sharing our stories. And I, have mm-hmm. the, and, I, and I have to know firsthand that these stories record not only where we have been, but that they can inspire where we are headed. And so my, my question for you as a writer was, how, was writing this, how, has, this, how has writing this book helped inspire where you are headed? 
Wow, that's a, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I do believe, um, you know, I, I, I come from a family of people who like to just sit around and tell stories, you know, after dinner or, you know, at a holiday. Or So I've always been around um, the oral storytelling tradition. So, and I, I guess as a kid, I could even see how people would um, include their past to, like, to tell a story about the present. They would have to, like, reach back and touch. I said, well, let me tell you this first, you know. Well, let me go back and, but you have to know this. And so in that way, they're constantly sort of clocking where they are in present time by helping you to see where they were. So I kind of, you know, and memoir, of course, which is my book is a memoir, requires that of the writer, right? And so... I was constantly looking at where I was and where I had been. But as I got to the end of the book, I realized uh, that I was being able to, it was, writing the book was affording me an opportunity to, one, reflect in such a way as to then, and to heal in such a way that I could think, think of where do I want to go next? What do I want from my life? And one of the things about losing a partner or anyone that we love dearly, a sibling, a, a best friend, a, a parent, is that we began, a child, we began to really see the preciousness of life. And I'm very aware of, you know, my time, right, my time on the planet. I know it's not, you know, we all know it's not forever, but I really know it's not forever, <laughs> you know. Um, and so as I was writing the book, I started to think about, well, you know, I was asking myself, I mean, one of the reasons even to write the book was sort of saying, I really want, in order to go forward, I feel like I need to get the story out. I need to share the story. I think there's something um, that I will feel another kind of loss if I don't write the story. And I'm a creative person, and, and obviously, as in you know, my career in the arts as an actor, but writing was, I, I just felt like if I don't at least try to do this, I, it will, um, I'll suffer another kind of loss. So when I got to the end of writing the book, and I, you know, which is a, a process we can have a whole other podcast on, but um, I really could see the strength that I had gathered over not only the years of living it, but then the two years I spent writing the book. And so I really feel like the book, writing the book and telling my story has given me an opportunity to sort of strengthen my sense of my own um, power or potency in the world. And I don't mean, you know, necessarily even what I do with it, but just the sense of like, I feel more, um, I feel stronger just as a, as a mom, as a woman, as, as a person. And I didn't expect that, you know, I didn't, I didn't expect that as an outcome of, of writing the book. So it definitely makes me feel more curious about my future and what things I might want to do, because I never imagined I could write a book <laughs> and I did. <laughs> so, you, you know, there's a kind of excitement and a sense of, um, curiosity that I take into each day of like, Oh, wow. What, what, what else will life unfold for me? Or how else will life unfold for me? So yeah, I think I think writing the book has made me um, definitely 
see more possibility in my future. I certainly see more than I saw seven years ago when I was a new widow. You know, at that point, I felt life had closed down on me, you know, and that's, you know, loss feels that way often. And so this, these seven years have been a reopening and the book was a big reopening. And I think um, others will, will notice that and, and get that from reading the book as well. I think, again, this has been such a, such a wonderful opportunity to speak with you, Tempe. Again, the, the book was wonderful. And mm, thank I'm not you. just saying this, I, I think, I mean, I, there were definitely places where, like, you know, I had to break out my tissues and I was, you know, <laughs> letting my, my husband and son, you know, see me, like, you know, cry again. <laughs> like, oh, this is a good um, oh my gosh! Well, I hope you also laughed a little too. Yes, I did. Yes, I did, and I will, <laughs> and I will um, be stuffed once I try some of the <laughs> some of the recipes. Oh, great! Good, good, wonderful. Well, I think I purposely last week, um, you know, again just trying to you know finish finish the book in preparation for the um, podcast episode. I I purposely said let's go to an Italian restaurant. It wasn't you know Sicilian food, but yeah, I yeah. like okay, you know, like I'm trying to get into the to the feel. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's one. I mean, that's one. Anytime that, you know, a book or any a movie or music, anything can, you know, inspire us to sort of sit around the table together and all be together. I think it's a good thing because we move in such a fast paced world that when we slow down and, you know, enjoy some of the most basic gifts of life, which is, you know, um, I mean, food is, a, is, is, is both a natural gift, but, you know, there are many places in the world where, you know, it, it's a scarcity also. So it's a privilege to be able to be in company and to have a well-balanced and beautiful meal and to not take that for granted. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tembi. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure being with you. Thank you. Pleasure as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening to What is Black Podcast. As always, we'd love to hear from you. We're, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, you can find us on most apps that you listen to podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. So tell a friend, and we look forward to hearing from you.